seated. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, chapter 11 kind of starts off in, with verse 2 uh, in most Bibles because verse 1 is considered part of the last chapter, uh, chapter 10, because it just kind of looked like it should have fit there better because it says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And that's kind of how he ended uh, that last uh, lesson that we did a couple weeks ago. So tonight, he turned his focus toward their attitude when it comes to public worship and then how it came, to, uh, how they conducted themselves during the uh, communion service or what we call the Last Supper. And so with that being said, uh, what I want you to see in this tonight is that he's talking about our proper attitude and conduct when we come to worship. And, and most of the times what I want you to see tonight is that keep in mind that you have to really understand the culture that they was living in when he was writing this. And trying to overlay it exactly like he wrote it to our culture today, it ain't going to fit. And if we try to make it fit just like he wrote it, it would make it look like a lot of us in this culture are sinning against God. So you kind of got to keep in mind what they was living in, how that Oriental culture was or the Eastern culture was at that time. And a lot of the things that we're going to see tonight that went on in that culture still goes on in certain parts of religion today. It's just that in the widespread Christian community, we don't do everything exactly like they did it back then. It looked like even these people didn't all do it the same way. And so we start talking about headdress and, 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 and coverings and things of that nature, uh, I want you to keep in mind, just because we may or may not do that in a widespread here in striving, if we went to somewhere where they practiced that and you walked into their church and they offered you something to cover your head, you should do whatever the custom is there. And, 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 and so I think when we kind of keep that in perspective, it will make this lesson make a little bit more sense to us and then we get a better understanding why Paul was writing to this to the Corinthians. And, and, and he wrote this primarily because someone must have asked him a question. Again, people ask him a question, he tried to answer that question. Not being there, he go based upon what things he have heard. And then we go back to the earlier chapters when we know that this is a church that there was always already issues in it. Division was already there. False teacher was there. They were the church of personalities, Peter, Paul, Apollos. So all this now, you got to remember from chapter 3, because some of that kind of fact, factor over into chapter 11. If you got that frame of reference, it'll give you a better understanding of some of the things he's writing here. So when we look at this in chapter 11, he start off by saying, he says, I am so glad that you always keep me in your thoughts and that you are following the teachings I passed on to you. And so he was, in this part, commending them for their faithfulness to obeying what he had taught them earlier, the doctrine that he had taught them, the things that he did learn about Jesus Christ. So even though he started off kind of giving them some praise, later on he's going to switch on them because he's going to be dissatisfied with how they do certain things when it comes to worshiping in the form of the Lord's Supper, of what we would call communion. And that is an entirely different look today than it was back then. So he says, okay, and, and all of you should be doing the things that you have been taught. 
that you know that are true. And it will make any teacher feel good when he know or she know that her students are doing what they've been taught. So often, though, in the church, a lot of things we are taught, we don't always apply. And because we don't apply the teachings that we are taught, a lot of times then we function in the church kind of like the Corinthian church did here, where he called them they are more worldly-minded, more carnal-minded than spiritual-minded. And if we don't on purpose make it up in our heart and our mind that we're going to try to conduct ourselves in a spiritual-minded way, it is easy for us to operate in the church in the corner mind and, and lose sight of what God would have us to do. So he says, now look in, in verse 3. He says, but there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, again, he's establishing order here. And this chapter, even though it is not specifically about marriage, he was just saying that, hey, God has an established order. And the order that he has in the church is almost as if he's telling us the family ought to be ordered that same way. And so he's saying now, the head of every man, and then we know that Christ is also the head of the woman too, when it comes to the body of Christ. But when he's talking about order, he's going to say later on to justify that, he's going to go all the way back to creation and say that, hey, God created Adam, but he took Eve out of Adam. So she was not created, she was formed out of Adam, establishing some type of order. And then as a result of that, he do give Eve her due by saying, after that, Every man that has been born comes from a, a woman. So he was not downplaying the role of women in this particular passage or the, or the role that they play, but what he was saying is here is that our God is a God of order. And, and, and what happens is in the culture that we live in today, people don't necessarily like order. And because we are in a society where people are free to do the things they want to do as long as it's not against the law, then we will get in the habit of sometimes of violating God's order because now we are lining up with the culture order. And so we as Christians should always try to say, what is God's order and is God's order the best order for us as Christians and the church? And so ladies shouldn't look at this and say, oh man, you know, the head of the woman is man. Well, don't look at that in a negative way. But I do believe, I honestly believe, and I know I'm old school and I get a lot of criticism today, I do believe if families will line up like God prescribed it, I think families would be better if they would. Now, I'm, granted, I'm talking about if man is doing what he's supposed to do as the head of the household I, or, or the person that God has placed in that position of authority. But now we have to factor in that, hey, I realize that in some situations that that role is carried out by a single mom who got to try to be both. But even though that's our culture has caused that to happen because men have abandoned their responsibility or we don't follow through, that don't mean that that goes against God's order. And I will stand here and I will believe that a child has a better chance of being successful when they come from a two-family household or a two-parent household 
versus just try one parent trying to raise them by themselves. I, I can't say that, but, but I do know that, 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 that for a woman to try to raise boys is a whole different dynamics than for a man dealing with, with boys. And I know they probably got studies out there to say some women are good. There are outliers out there. But for the most part, that's not God's best order. So he says, look, now he started talking about some things about covering, and this is where I don't want to get bogged down in this because, let me say this earlier. Every religion don't agree on this passage right here. Everybody has kind of interpreted this different ways. And what I'm trying to say is that in Judaism, sometimes they cover their head, but in the more traditional version of Judaism, but in some of the more, what I would say, liberal version of Judaism, the men don't cover their head all the time, or women don't cover their head all the time. But you will see sometimes they wear the little yarmulkes on their head. In the Catholic Church, the priests and the nuns are all covered, but everybody that goes to the church is not always covered. However, some older people who've been in the religion a long time may cover themselves. In some other religion, in the Amish faith, they believe in covering their head. The women wear the little white hats and the men wear hats all the time, so they believe in covering and all that stuff. In Islam, they believe in covering not all of them, but in the traditional Islam, that's why we see in those religions, women cover their face. They can be covered from here, just the lower part, or open, or covered to their nose up all the way to here where only their eyes are showing. So this thing about covering of our heads or whatever is practiced throughout various religions. It's just that we don't want to bog down on that and think that that has anything to do with your salvation whether you're covered or not covered. I believe that back in the old days, that's why when I grew up, women used to wear hats to church for the most, the older women did. Well, nowadays, women don't wear hats like that no more. There's some churches you may find women, but I guarantee the average young person, young woman under 30, ain't think, probably ain't even got a hat. I'm just saying, not like a hat that she would want to wear to church. She probably got a baseball cap that she wear backwards, but she probably won't wear that to church. But if she came in here with a baseball cap on and said, this is my covering, what would we do? Okay, if that's what you say your covering is, wear your baseball cap. Amen. Because I don't have a scripture to say, that's wrong, because he don't sell it. He just say, he talks about covering. And so when I'm trying to get you to see, and I'm going through all this so that we don't get bogged down, I don't have the exact answer to how this ought to play out. Because in that culture, they did things based upon the way they were at that time. And I'm saying now our culture, a lot of the things he say here, our culture has made it normal. Women cut their hair now. Real short. In the old days, here people need to believe that your hair is your covering. So therefore, you should not cut your hair. Well, if you don't cut, I can't, what am I going to do? You can't come to church? No, I mean, you have cut now. In our culture, it's okay for women to cut their hair because Paul is not giving a command that you can't do these things, but he's saying based upon where they were at at this time, they did certain things. And it's a little bit deeper than that. I'm going to try to get there tonight. So he says, now look, verse 4 says, a man dishonors his head if he covers his head while praying a prophesying. Well, in, in striving, we don't wear hats in church, so when we pray, we ain't no problem there. But then some faith, in the Jewish faith, in the Catholic Church, 
Most of the time, the priest have a hairdresser on. And he be praying. So is he wrong? Because he wearing a cover? Or if you go to a Jewish church and they got the little hamakas on, uh, yarmulkes, or they got some type of hairdresser on, they wrong? So in that time, that was common attire. And for various reasons, a lot of times, Back then, a lot of men are depicted as having long hair. And so, therefore, a lot of times, if you got, and, and they didn't dress clearly defensively, you know, meaning that sometimes the dress was so loosely that the women's clothes kind of looked like the men's clothes because they wore loose wear and loose fitting clothes, robe-like type clothes and stuff of that nature. So, therefore, if everybody walking around with long hair, and you don't see no definition, if there's no facial hair, you could easily probably mistake a man for a woman. So maybe by putting certain coverings on, it would serve to identify. And I, in my study, I found that in some cultures, the reason that the women were veiled was because when they were in the presence of their husband or really close relatives, they didn't have to wear. But in public they did as a sign that they were married. Now some of the strict rabbis say it was so that they wouldn't tip nobody because if they were real good looking and you know a rabbi didn't have his flesh in check, I guess, it could be because him. Now that's old thinking there. If you got the spirit, you ought to be able to look at a nice looking woman and don't feel like you just got to lust after. So in America, I don't think women ought to have to cover their face up because they think Major or Pastor Bolden just can't they stand being around them if he see their faces. So there are a whole lot of things when you look at this and you dig deeper into it that may have been going on in that culture. Now keep in mind, Corinthian was a kind of rough city. They had, we learned earlier, they had temple prostitutes and the priests in the church and that. This was not your traditional area where everybody was trying to live in a godly way. A lot of these people coming out of pagan religion where sex was glorified. Okay? So now look at it. He says, he says, but a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. For this is the same as shaving her head. Wow. Well, We in strive, we'd be guilty. Because we have ladies that pray in here. I don't make them put on a hat or cover their head. So if we were practicing that, that means major, we got to put a change out right now. Effective Sunday. If you're a woman and you come off up in here and you're going to pray for somebody or prophesy, you need to go get a covering. I'm not going to do that because I don't believe that this is a law that we got to do. However, if I was in a situation where people believe that, then I'll be it. I'm going to do it. If I go to your church and you tell me that's how to go, what has to be done, then guess what? I'm going to obey that. If I walk in your church and you give me a little doily for my head, I'm going to put it on because that's the custom and I'm pretty sure everybody in there is going to be doing that. Everybody in striving is not going to start wearing hats because Pastor Bowden said wear hats. It's going to almost have to be an order. And 
you, the usher's not going to have to keep you out of here. <laughs> so, so what I'm trying to say, to try to overlay this into the culture that we're living in right now, you will cause more problems in the church that is worse when this has nothing to do with someone's eternal salvation. But it's good for us to know this because the principle that he's trying to get us to see, the covering was a symbol of submission and humility. And we should still be practicing those principles of submitting to God and being humble whether we got a hat on or not. That making sense? So now look at this. He says, he said in verse uh, 6, say, yes, if she refused to wear a head covering, she should cut off all her hair. Okay. But since it is shameful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, she should wear a covering. Well, we, now women have cut all their hair off now. I mean, all of it. I mean, there are some women that sports heads like major. What you going to do? They show up for striving. I got to say, before you come in, you got to grow some hair back. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, that would be the, that would be the test for it. Would that, do you think that that would be what Jesus would want me to do? Get your mic, Major. Get your mic. And like you were saying, it was then in Corinth, it, said, it was saying that it was an old study. It said that it was part of the custom. And it said that if a woman had a shaved head, uh, she was seen as a prostitute. Yeah. So, so that was just part of, like you said, Back then, that was custom. So if you saw a woman with a shaved head or short hair, okay, that means that she could possibly be a prostitute. So, of course, it wouldn't work out in today's time. But that's what it meant back then, or, or that's the idea. Of the it was a cultural thing. It wasn't. It's just like it's just like I guess. So, for if you put that to today's culture, if you saw a a, a man with earrings, which you do now, you'd be like, that's for a female, but because everybody's doing it, what are you going to say? The culture has changed. The culture has changed. And so now you have to make up your mind, is that a, is that a sin that's unto death, or is it that okay, we got some people that's going to change with the culture based upon their non-conviction, you know, because they could probably go find a scripture in the Old Testament where people had earrings and probably some men had earrings. You know, slaves would give them pierced ears to, to identify who they were. Women had nose rings in the Old Testament that is recorded. They came out of Egypt with a lot of those practices. Now, whether or not God agreed with it or not, he didn't, he didn't kill them for that, if you understand what I'm saying. So, so what I'm trying to say is that when it comes to things that we can't clearly define as a heaven or hell issue or issue of someone's salvation, then we have to kind of say, okay, where are we going to fall in these norms as we change? Because now, I hear that people use the scripture sometimes, oh, it ain't right for a woman to wear pants in church. Or the, the Bible says the, the apparel of a man. Well, today, they make pants for women. So really, the apparel that she's wearing, it may look like pants for a man, but they were made for a 
So now are we going to say, okay, every woman that comes in stride with pants on on Sunday, Major, you the chief usher, you need to escort them back to their car. Well, get a mic, get a mic, get a mic, get a mic. As, as a pastor, so, of course, we couldn't, like, everything that the culture do, we just can't say, okay, it's okay if we're representing Christ. Right. So as a pastor, where's the line drawn? You know, just because it's not, you know, it's not going to affect your salvation, we just can't say any and everything goes. I mean, could we? <laughs> I mean, we can't, we, you got, I, think, I think the line has to be drawn somewhere. <laughs> Because if we if we start looking like outside the church, I mean, you know what I'm asking? As a pastor, <laughs> where, do you, where do you draw the line at? Where would you, have, you draw the line at? I think you have to draw the line. I, I think you first have to draw lines with the, in, in the leadership of the church. And so, therefore, if the leadership establishes certain policies, that become the custom or the tradition or the norm for that particular church. However, when it comes to people who are looking for the Lord, you can't put on them the things that they don't know. Amen. You know, when a person gets saved, they're going to come to church with what they have. Amen. They ain't going out and buy what they consider church clothes. They ain't going to change their, 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 their jewelry just because I'm coming to church today. Amen. Okay? And, and so, therefore, I think that now that when we look at that, you're right. The culture has outpaced the church in a lot of areas. And because of that, this part of that culture ends up in the church. And if it's not sinful, then what you have to do, in my opinion, as a leader, is say, okay, what is going to be an established norm for the way we do things as leadership here, and hope that leadership would transcend to followership. Mm -hmm. But if someone say, hey, man, I got my 10 earrings in my ear now, and hey, I ain't taking them out. Okay, fine. I mean, come on to church. I'm not going to say you can't come to church because you got 10 holes in your ear. And, and so what, what we got to see here is that that's a tough line. That's why I say this is one of the toughest chapters that he wrote in this book, Corinthians, because he covered a lot of things that has to do with the way they were doing things in that culture, but he was trying to reel them back in so that they would be, like you say, Major, still representative of who they are in the Lord. Okay? He said, I'm in verse 7, I think, right? He says, a man should not wear anything on his head when worshiping. But well, we just showed you that in some religions, even Christians, that in the Catholic faith, they wear coverings while they worship. Some churches that you go in, we say it with the Amish, they wear coverings. And, and so, for a man is made in the image of God and reflects God's glory, and a woman reflects man's glory. Okay, go ahead, Fred, go ahead. One of the problems we run into at church is uh, it's like when leadership establishes rules, but then that leadership family is not following the, that rule. You know, you establish a rule for the church, and you know, and say, "Hey, look, your dress is a little too short." You know, you tell the women, they let them know, but then the pastor's wife's dress is short. Uh, they, you tell your kids, you know, you you shouldn't be doing this, especially in church. But then they see your kids doing it, and they wonder, well, you know, you're establishing rules, but your family are not following those rules. And that goes back to leadership. You're right. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna make something a rule for other people, then you got to try to live by those rules that you are establishing. Uh, and again, I think we get into very dicey area when we make traditions that become more binding than the Word of God. 
And I think sometimes we can do that by making things that become our norms and our tradition that can be more binding on people. Like when, when Jesus confronted the Pharisees, he said, you put yokes on people that you can't even carry yourself. And so we don't want to do that to the point that we put yokes. But I do think, like Major saying, you said, friend, there ought to be some established norms that, hey, this is what we consider acceptable dress. I think we have evolved as a church, as a community, because when I was coming up, it, it was understood. Women didn't wear pants to church. There was no, nobody asked that question. Nobody challenged that norm. When the, in the Baptist church I grew up in, if a woman would try to walk up in there with some pants on, the mushroom would stop her at the door. Period. But now I can go back to my same Baptist church and women wear pants. Well, did Jesus come and give a new rule? No, they started changing with the culture. So, so some things is not all bad, but we just kind of find out where does that happen to me. And I think that medium is dependent on the leadership of that church. So Pastor Bolden may be here, but there may be some pastors far more to the right and some far more to the left than I am on certain issues. But I can't say they're right or wrong. That's what's going to work in their church. Now look at it, verse, verse 8, right? It says, for the first man didn't come from the woman, from woman. But the first woman came from man. Again, he's going back to that thing about order. Now, ladies, this ain't, this ain't the whole marriage thing right here, but he's just saying God has an order. And I just believe if the church followed God's order, then it will, it will function better. And I believe if families follow God's order, it will function better. Not saying, this is not talking about you know, a wife who got a better job than her husband and make more money than her husband, smarter and got more education than her husband. That happens all the time. Now, it used to be a time and then because women were oppressed so that most of the time the breadwinner was the man. But now in our culture, there are women out there who make mad cash far more than their husbands. But when it comes to that order in the family, the, the, the children should know that is dad, mom, children. And how they navigate that and who say what and who get the final say on that, that ought to be worked out between that husband and wife and that husband ought to be able to step up to the plate and lead his family. I just believe that a man ought to lead his family. Okay? Even if he, he's not making the most money, he ought to be the leader, the provider, and the protector of his family. And if he won't do it, then I ain't got no problem with the sister having to step up and do it. Because in our culture, the thing that upset me is that because our men have been laxed in their responsibility, we have forced women to have to be out there trying to raise children by themselves. And then when the children come up cutting the food, we blame the woman and never go find that rascal who was responsible for the child. She's an unfit mother. Look what she done did. Well, she's working three jobs. She can't keep up with little Johnny if she's working three jobs. And so I think men have to bear some responsibility for abandoning their families. Even if they don't marry baby mama, they ought to take care of their children. Baby mama shouldn't have to work three jobs to take care of your children. Amen. I hope some of the brothers listen to me online out there that if you got some children you ain't take care of, Pastor Bo said you're supposed to take care of your. Now look at this. He says, 
a man, then he goes further, he says, and man was not made for the woman, but the woman was made for man. If you understand the Genesis story, you know what he's referencing there. He says, now look, in verse 10, for this reason and because the angels are watching. Now, this is getting deep spiritual here, and I couldn't wrap my mind how he, somehow Paul said, when we come together to worship, we are not in here by ourselves. That's kind of what he said, hey, hey, when y'all get together and worship, angels are watching over what y'all doing down there. Some kind of way, shape, fashion, form. He said it. I don't know how it's happening, but I got to believe he got a revelation from God to write this. He says, now look, because angels are watching, a woman should wear a covering on her head to show she is under authority. Now, I could almost take that as directive. Adrian, because angels are watching. So for do, angels are watching. You need to go get something on your head. Adrian, do you, do you think I can preach on that and, and make it stick? I better have some little doilies back there at the door. If we're going to put that in place, I'm probably going to have to have them ready for you. And if I tell you that I have it on the worship, then I'm going to have to provide it for most people. And so, but again, his point was is that he was trying to get the point across about how they are supposed to be submissive to one another, especially when they're coming together to worship and how they got to be submissive to God's authority in the worship experience so that they don't lose sight of God while they're of worshiping and forget whose authority they are under. So look at verse 11. He says, but among the Lord's people, women are not independent from men. So he come back and kind of polish that up. And men are not independent from women. In other words, we are all interdependent on one another. Adam needed Eve, so in the church you need men and women. So we don't work as individuals standing alone by ourselves. We work together for the common good of the body of Christ. It takes men, women, and the children to keep Christ's body growing and functioning like it should be growing. And so when we start operating independent of one another, then now we lose some of that unity that Jesus is supposed to bring about in the body of Christ. Because when we work in interdependent of each other, interdependent of each other, then now that brings about unity. That means we force us to have to work on one accord and try to do things as a team instead of doing things by ourselves. So he says, now look, verse 12, for although the first woman came from man, every other man was born from a woman. But he let us know, but everything comes from God. So we all belong to God. Every, everything comes from God. So then 13, he said, judge for yourselves. Is it right for a woman to pray to God in public without wearing, without covering her head? So now he's talking about, he had already said there's nothing wrong with them prophesying and praying. So that puts some, you know, some myths to the side to say, when he come back later and say, hey, because in the same books he tell women when you go to church you ought to be silent. Now it's going to look like he's going to contradict that because here he says in public if they pray and prophesy. 
So obviously we got to keep in mind that when he tell them now to be silent, he may have not been talking about every woman, but only those who run in their mouth when they shouldn't be. Because if that was a straight across the board, he would have been contradicting himself right here. Because he said they could pray and prophesy in church. So he says, judge for yourself. That let me know that then now we as a body of certain things, we can say, hey, this is right for this ministry. It's not a violation of God's word in any major way. So this is what we're going to do as God. Now, when we, when we when I first went out to some of the bigger churches back before, earrings were uh, as popular and piercing was as popular. When the church was trying to get a handle on that, I was taught that the church that I learned from said, hey, if you're going to be in any place of leadership where you stand up before people, if you're a woman, you can have no more than two earrings in your ear. That was the original, that was back then. Now, that was back in the early 2000s, I think the last time I went out. If you're a man, you cannot serve standing up before the people with an earring on. He didn't say you couldn't have one. He just said when you're serving, you got to take it out. That was the rule. At one time, that was the rules we played by here in Striving. But that was early on in the game, and now babies are getting pierced before they even get two years old. So it ain't the baby fault that they, they, their mama done put a little nose ring at them or a couple of holes in their ear. It used to be a time, uh, how change day. We were told, men, if you're going to get an earring, you shouldn't get but one. If you're going to get one. Now, them brothers were having earrings bigger than women, man. I mean, it's both of you. Diamonds bigger than women. So, so, tell you. So now, the test would be major joint striving. And major, you know, been had his earring for 30 years in his ear. And major want to be an usher. What is Pastor Bowden going to do? Major, you know, I know you want to serve the Lord, but our old rules say a man can't wear your ring and serve. So, unfortunately, you got to sit down and take your earrings out. That be, would, that, would that be considered kind of cruel and major? Got a heart he really want to serve? Should I hold his earrings against him nowadays in the time we're living in? You think so, Major? I just get the mic, get the mic, get the mic. I'm just asking, cause I, I tell you, Pastor has evolved on this, so y'all need to know that. I don't wake up in the morning looking for who got earrings in, if they're a man or woman for the for the. I I I don't do that no more. I mean, I, I, life is you know changed, get a whole different perspective. If Major got a good heart, I'm just. But go ahead and give me your opinion, Major. No, no, I mean, I just think if 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 I'm all in for Christ, then. Me taking out my earrings to serve, that ain't, ain't going to be a problem. That's the least you worry. If you all, if, if so, yeah, that, if, about that. If that, Pastor Bolden, if that rule is still there, you're saying, hey, if I want to serve the Lord, I'm not going to protest because you want me to take my earrings out, Pastor. No. Just that whenever I'm serving on first and third Sunday, I won't win. If that's what you're going to keep as policy. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Brother Herb, get a mic. If you don't have one. Because obviously in Christianity now, that standard is kind of all over the place. 
you know, is not a a cookie cutter. You go to this church, you see this, and you go to this church, and you see that. I guarantee you it's no longer like that. Brother Herb? You know, one of the things that that comes to mind when you put on any kind of clothing or doing anything that to your body, in the sense that you are, in a sense, dignified, showing that you're making a statement. You're making a statement when you, when I say, if I put an earring or anything in my ear or I put a nose, I'm, I'm signifying something to a point to bring to attention to me, to say I'm significant, that I'm putting this earring on or I'm putting uh, this type of clothes on or this kind of look what I'm going to do, uh, present myself, it is that you are signifying or you bring attention to yourself to say you are significance and that and that's to a point where do you need that? I mean, I don't need that in the sense of uh, when you uh, do anything on the outside bringing to attention that you are signifying in the sense to you say that you are significance. Okay. And that but can be that it, can be an issue in a sense also right. when, when you do that. And, and that's good because I do think people do things to bring attention to themselves. But however, my question is, is it a heaven or hell issue? Is Major going to go to hell because, you know, he got earrings? Do you think the blood don't work on earrings? I'm just asking. So now it comes down to the leadership preference. If Pastor Bolden say, hey, and the leadership is striving to say, hey, no men with earrings on if they're serving, that rule's still in effect, fine. But then you got to go back and look at when we changed the gene policy. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. But we okay. Didn't nobody go to hell because we wear jeans. I got on jeans tonight. You think, oh, well, the pastor's going to hell. He got on some jeans up there. He ain't got his suit on. So if I was up here in a jumpsuit or an Adidas or a Nike outfit, I couldn't do what I'm doing. Because we have been conditioned that certain people who stand up in front of people ought to look a certain way, and if that's all we see, then we'll think that's the norm everywhere. But Fred, go ahead. Did, did, did. If, if that's the popular style now, wouldn't you be kind of identifying with the world by, by, by doing that? Now you want to be like the world because that's popular now. Everybody is wearing, men are wearing earrings now in the world. So I want to be like them in the world, so I wear earrings because it's popular. Not because it's a needed thing for me to do. And going back to what Major said, I agree with Major, you know, if you win a soul for the Lord, you'd be glad to take those earrings out because souls are more important than your style. But what if, what if somebody don't feel that way? I mean, what, what, because you, they can say, well, hey, you can't show me where wearing earrings is, you know, a sin. So therefore, because I've made this sin, I was, my mom then put this in my ear when I was a baby, you know, and I've grown accustomed to it. It's a part of who I am. I had nothing to do with it. So now I, I'm a decent person with this earring in my ear. I'm not a sinful person. I'm living like the Lord wants me to live. I don't see nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and I, go, I agree with that, but I'm saying somebody as old as Major... Oh, this major, okay. Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that old, but 
somebody like Major go out and get an earring now, he's trying to be popular like the world because that's what the world is doing. He's trying to identify with the people that's out there in the world. Okay, now again, let's, don't see, once I like this conversation, because once we open up that can, you can't just stop right there. Because once you go there, half of the clothes you got on was designed by somebody in the world. Most of the designers in the world are not Christians. And we, and we walk around and make fashion statements and their stuff every day and don't even know who they are and what they believe and what they represent. Brother Mike? Yes, I respect the order of the church. I remember when I was growing up, especially in the islands, I was part of judging people, so to speak, because of the culture. Uh, if somebody had pants, you just identify them as they are not Christians. And not only the Christians look at them that way, but unsafe people did too. And um, when I came here and I noticed Christians were wearing pants, then I, you know, I, I got to, you know, so I got accustomed with it. And then if somebody in the islands was smoking cigarette, they, con they believe you're not a Christian also. And I went in certain places in, um, when I was going to the mission, and then I went to Louisiana and then in a Bentley church, and I saw everybody was smoking cigarette. So I thought they wasn't Christians. I didn't know at first. And then later on, they were ushers, you know? And then the pastor came and gave the deacons cigarettes. So I, I knew well the Christians were smoking cigarettes, so I didn't know. But the Bible didn't say you couldn't smoke, so I get to know all these things before. And then we have an attitude, a way of condemning people. I think the soul that is important, that you, you speak to somebody and they receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, but a lot of time our judgment push a lot of people away. And uh, I, I also, on that church that um, I went to, the, um, Fishers of Men, they, they, that's the church that is, anybody who wants to come, they receive Christ, they have tattoos. I'm not saying the church had to be like that. I don't, I don't believe you have to adopt the world style. You have to have some kind of principle. But at the same time, we have to be careful of pushing people away um, where it's, it's not a heaven and hell issue, like Pastor is saying. Because what is important is, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, uh, that's what takes you to heaven, heaven. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, that's what takes you to hell. I don't think none of this um, culture, just like he says, culture, we're going through changes, but we have to be careful of how we behave to, to the people outside of where they were. Okay, good. So let me, let me read on, and then I, if you got some thoughts, please make them, and, and, uh, and let me read this. I want to finish uh, through 15. He says, it is obvious that it is disgraceful for a man to have long hair. Well, now, by him saying that, I don't know that Jesus had long hair or not, but every picture that I see him come there, he kind of having long hair. Now, some Bible says have it like lamb wool, so maybe we got too much of Michelangelo's version of Jesus instead of Jesus with afro. I mean, because lamb wool don't look like, you know, long, stringy, blonde hair. Yeah. And, and, and so now, if I, if I had been brought up looking at Jesus with an afro, that would have been my norm. But because I, I was Europeanized, I was brought up looking at Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes. So in my mind, Jesus had long hair, and I don't know if it was Michelangelo right or wrong. Whoever painted that picture, but I don't know if it's right or wrong. But I guarantee you, if I went to Africa and saw a picture of him, he wouldn't have blonde hair. If I go to Asia and find a picture that they created of him, he wouldn't have that type of hair that we see from a European perspective. 
And so what has happened is that God created man in his own image, and then man turned around and created God in his image. Created him to look like what we think he ought to look like based upon who we are. And so when we look at these things here, we kind of have to keep the, the contents of what he's trying to get us to see. It's about how we represent ourselves when we come to worship. He says, now look, verse 15 says, and isn't long hair a, women, a woman's pride and joy? I used to hear that all the time, little boy. Your hair is your glory. You don't cut your hair. I never saw my mom get no haircut, man. My mom had some long, pretty hair. It didn't grow all the way down her back, you know, I guess she just didn't have that type of hair. But I ain't never see her get no haircut. Now, her sisters, some of her sisters, they had what they, I guess, when, when the culture changed and women started getting those haircuts, they called them bobs, the little short haircuts where, you know, they kind of layer. They do that now. They kind of wave them now and all that. But my mom, I, I never saw her get a haircut, maybe because she was told, hey, your hair is your glory, girl. You better not, better not cut your hair. But now, it's common practice. Women get cuts and add on. Amen. And, and so, even brothers now, I mean, we dreading up, locking up, and adding on too. So like Brother Mike said, now, if, I, if I've been brought up to, hey, brother, man, you just don't, you don't do that to your hair, man. You don't have going down all the way down your back like that. That ain't no. But then, like Brother Mike is saying, if I'm going to judge him and say that's a heaven and hell issue, I'll be wrong. It may not be my taste, but I shouldn't let that be a stumbling block for me being able to minister to him or be in his presence or that person's presence because I can't say because their hair is long, short, or whatever that this is heaven and hell issue. And so I think that's where we sometimes, as Christians, we turn people off because we don't know always where that line is when it comes to what we judge people based on what we have been taught in error. And sometimes we have learned some things in error and we thought that that's what the Bible said, but it was just what we did and practiced in our tradition or in our culture. And, and when we saw other cultures, we thought they was wrong. My first experience with the Catholic Church. In, in, in our neighborhood, you know, like now, when we grew up, you had to dress up to go to church on Sunday. When I was a little boy, man, mom and them were going to always make sure we had Sunday clothes. And, and those clothes we couldn't wear no other time. You weren't going to wear them to school. <laughs> you had your Sunday best. You, you knew what you were going to wear on Sunday. You know them, them Sunday clothes. And so I grew up in a culture where I'm thinking that everybody who go to church got to be look like they clean on Sunday. It was unheard of to think you would walk in a church in Montgomery, Alabama, Baptist Church, with jeans on when I grew up unheard of unless you was too poor and you were still out in the fields but if you had a little piece of money you were going to have some Sunday clothes so now coming up with that mindset and all that's all I saw because when I was in Montgomery Alabama we didn't cross politics didn't go to nothing but a Baptist church so that's all I saw is what we did as Baptists when I come in the military I stumbled into a Catholic service by accident. I wasn't intending to go there. I got the times mixed up. And I say, my God, all these folks are going to hell. 
man, they come in here, they got on shorts, they, they, they ain't got on no tie, they ain't got on no suit, they ain't even got on flip-flops in church. So that messed me up because I had never seen that before. Now, I could have took the position that, hey, I'm going to stay dug into my Baptist roots. They are going to hell. Because you just don't go to church looking like that. I would have been wrong unless I stayed in my own little territory at Beulah Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Inside of Beulah Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, I may have been right. But inside that particular church or any other church that didn't operate like that, I would have been wrong for trying to overlay Beulah Baptist on that particular church. And so because of that, a lot of times, I learned this from here striving. A lot of the young people that come to our church now don't even own suits. That ain't on their first list of things I need to go and buy. I got my first check, I need to go buy me a suit. So what I'm going to do, say, man, unless you go get you a suit, man, you, you know, you can't come to church. Brother Herb, go ahead. What I'm, what I'm reading so far and what you have presented, what Paul was, was dealing with, again, uh, he's dealing with Corinne. And like you already stated before, they had different customs. And as they had different customs, he had to walk softly to be able to speak before them. Because what's, what he was saying to me is the, some of these customs was tripping these people up. And he was trying to establish what's, uh, 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 that these customs don't identify or cause you to who you are. And what he also states, and the two things he states in there, twice he mentioned about the order between when he said God, Christ, man, if you understand who's the head of each other. So he had to establish that earlier, uh, uh, dealing with these individuals, uh, these people. And every person, I mean, the man had a custom and the women, and the women had a custom of what they, uh, what they were living with. So the point I'm trying to establish is that what Paul was trumping on, and he had to walk diligently dealing with the custom does not affect the order of who God is and how he did find an order. Amen. And, 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 and that's what the, that's, was the division was going on. And, and what you're you dealing today. Yeah, and that's what he said earlier, you know, about that, that order. And then as he go on here, he kind of come back and say in verse 16, he said, now look, but if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this, and neither do God or other churches. So he was trying to get them to see, hey, look, some of the things y'all doing, because y'all coming out of the world and doing it, y'all want to argue with me about them, but y'all shouldn't be doing it when it comes to public worship. But he didn't say that it was one of those things that was going to hinder their salvation. He was just trying to say. Now, when you look at other letters that Paul wrote, very few of the other letters that he addressed, dressing culture to the other letters that he wrote to the other churches. And so obviously, during that time, a letter was normally, if I wrote major letter, it don't mean that Herb got the letter. So it wasn't until all these letters were put together and put in books that other churches probably even knew what he wrote to the Corinthians. 
because he was normally addressing things that was going on in those churches that he had ministered to, but Corinth was a tough church. He had to write them twice. Long letters, not short little letters, but long letters. Because like Brother Herb say, that culture there, man, it was part of the Roman culture and all that and the things they was doing, it, it was ingrained in the people. And so we're no different in America, but I just want to make sure that as our culture changed, we as a church kind of got to know where we fit and, and how we navigate our way through the culture without isolating people like Brother Mike say. Because you don't want someone's soul to be at stake all because we focusing on an earring or a nose ring instead of their soul. And I believe if the Holy Spirit moved them to take it out, let them take it out. If it don't, I'm concerned about if you're going to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You know, you make him the Lord of your life, and then we'll let the chips fall where they may when it comes to those things that we don't always agree on. Because if it was that simple, all Christian churches will be operating the same. Even when this next part, as we transition to, to this next part, in verse from 17 through remainder, he started talking about order at the Lord's Supper. Now, in the Lord's Supper is what we would call communion, but back then, the, the Lord's Supper was a, a ceremony that they had in addition to their worship service. Kind of like in the Jews have Seder meals for a certain time where they come in and, and eat bread and drink wine to celebrate the Passover and things like that. So the Lord's Supper, it was kind of that. But what they were doing here, we're going to see, is that in addition to doing that, they had turned the Lord's Supper into a feast. You know, it, they had gone beyond just a piece of bread, breaking it and having praying and re singing uh, hymns and, 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 and praying and, and reading scripture and things of that nature. Now it had turned to a feast that led to drunkenness in the midst of the ceremony. Now, what you got to understand, because some people read this and take this so serious, there are some churches now that don't have no form of fellowship at church. Because they took what Paul said literally. You ought to eat at home. Now, obviously, we don't believe that here at Strive. Because we don't eat a lot of times at Strive. Right here on this very floor that I'm standing on right now. And I didn't see none of y'all raise objection. Now, I hope that y'all read this scripture here. And they're going, well, Pastor, now we should no longer eat at church. We should be having no fellowships in the church like that. Get the, get the mic, Brother Mike. Go ahead, Lydia Major. Go ahead, Brother Mike. Yes, what, what, uh, concerning that part, they will, during the communion time, they will get in, uh, they will eat in like, like, it's a, like you said, a feast. So they were eating. It, they wasn't um, celebrating the communion like you're supposed to. So he was saying, if you're hungry, eat at home. Not necessarily mean the meal that you're having separate from communion. And apart from the communion, he was saying, during communion time, they were eating not just a piece of bread, but they were trying to have a meal. So he was saying, if you're hungry, eat at home. Not during the communion time, because that wasn't the purpose for it. Yes, the purpose was not for you to come and get full and then have a, and drink too much wine. Right. And then you get start drunk. getting drunk at communion. Drunk, drunk, drunk yes. And so, and, and so now, when, now this is back then. Now just, just think communion, how it has transpired, transpired over the years. From breaking bread, a loaf of bread, to a cup of wine, all the way now to wafers, or well, in our culture, crackers, where Deacon go back there and beat them up. 
when I was a little boy, we, we had no round wafers. We ain't had these little nice things we got now. They were saltine crackers that the deacons had to break up, and it was grape juice. Well, when I went to chapel on base, they had real wine. And that messed me up too, Major. When I first saw people drinking real wine for communion, I asked the question, what is those little white ones in there? Oh, those are the real wine. The grape juice is the purple one. Y'all drink real wine for communion? Yeah. But I thought you, they, he said you're supposed to drink the fruit of the vine. Well, grape is the fruit of the vine. But when I was in the church of God in Christ, we added something to that and said it was unfermented wine. Even though it ain't in the Bible like that. We said it so we could justify, say, that's why we drink grape juice. Because when Jesus turned water into wine, it wasn't real wine. Well, the Bible don't say that. But if you don't know no better, that's what you do. And that's how I was brought up. So in the Baptist church I grew up in, we would never have communion with real wine. Never. And I don't even know to this day have they changed that. You know, some of y'all don't been back to, you know, your church that you grew up in. But we never would. But at the same time, here the issue wasn't the wine. The issue was that you done got and drank too much wine and eating too much food. And then now when communion is supposed to be about bringing us together as a body and everybody being blessed, the people who had the haves were outpacing the have-nots. And the have-nots were not being able to get part of the food. Part of my question. So was it, a, was it a celebration of communion? So they did that before communion and then they took communion. Was that a, a, a customary thing? Was that like a cultural thing where they did that in celebration of taking communion? They did the eating and the drinking before taking communion. In, in, in the culture, you know, it was like they came and had a, was supposed to have a worship experience and in that worship experience, they were supposed to celebrate what Jesus left in place for them. And it was supposed to be a, like a, like, probably like, more like a Jewish Seder meal. If you ever been to, a, in Passover, went to a Seder meal with the Jews, they don't have a whole lot of food there. They have the flatbread and things of that nature. Then they have a meal separate from that. And so it looked like some of these things could have got, like you said, got merged together. And now this communion experience turned into a buffet and we're eating a little bit of everything, and we're forgetting the significance of what we're supposed to be celebrating. And that's kind of what the point he's going to make when you go through this, and we read this real quick, because starting in verse 17, I want to get through this. He said, now look, but this is, but in the following instructions, now he's flipping the script on a major. He said, at the first part, he told him, hey, I want to commend you for your following my teaching. But here he says, I cannot praise you. Y'all, man, y'all done really messed up communion. I can't praise you. He says, for it sounds, as if, it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Then he tells them why. He says, first I hear that there are divisions among you. We know that from the chapter 3. And when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it, because he had already told them. He heard that they, how they were breaking up into little factions. So he said, now look, they was breaking up into factions. There was division among them. But then he come back and say, sometimes 
those divisions, this is what caught me at right here, Major, where I had to stop and study. Sometimes those divisions may not be bad, even though God don't like division, if those divisions expose those who are not really pleasing God. That, that come, I had to read that four or five times. Because that caught me right there. So he said, now, sometimes if the church is going to reveal that Major is an outlaw and we disagree, then now that's a good thing. Because Major is not following what the scriptures say, so that division is good. Because now it's going to expose those who are really pleasing to God. Let me read that. He says, but of course, there must be division among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. So obviously everybody don't have God's approval. Some of y'all in the church got his approval, he's saying. Some of you don't. And this division is going to reveal who is pleasing God and who's not. That devil's tough right there. He said, now look. Then he said, look, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. This is going back to what Brother Mike said. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing it with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. In other words, it ain't the little sip of wine and a piece of bread. You drinking the whole goblin, eating a full meal, and you done forgot major and even had, a, had, me, had nothing to eat yet. You have turned this into a party instead of a worship experience. Now here today, the way we do it in most Christian churches is, is simplified because we have self-contained containers with juice. So, so we try to keep the ceremony in a sacred manner. Okay? Now some churches are, go further than we do. The Catholic Church take communion all the way to another level because they believe that every time they meet, they have what they call the Holy Eucharist, communion. And, and they see it as the actual body and blood of Christ. They, they, they believe that. So therefore, whenever they have a mass, they're going to have communion. We, for whatever reason, because probably coming up in the church I grew up in, we only do it on the first Sunday. We could do it every Sunday if we wanted to. Because there is no stipulation to say you got to do it every Sunday. He, Jesus just says, often as you do it, do it as remembrance of me. I done been in churches where sometimes they only do communion once a quarter. But the key thing is how is your heart when you're going through the communion ceremony? That's why later on he say, examine yourself. Make sure that your attitude is right when you're doing this. Make sure that you're not just thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about what he did for you. Keeping him the center of what you're about to do. And that's what happened here. They started turning this into a party, to a feast. And because of that, he came against them. That's why he said, I can't celebrate you here. I can't say I'm happy with you right here because you guys done took something that is holy and sacred and you done turned it into a party. It's okay to have fellowship after we have worship service and we done celebrated Jesus and then now we go over and open up the chicken. That's okay. 
but we can't bring the chicken in here while we're trying to celebrate Jesus at the same time. And say, okay, we're going to give communion now, but I want to take a bite of this chicken leg. So I go, no, can't do that. And we wouldn't do that. Most churches don't do that. But here, because of the people in the culture that they was in, and like I told you earlier on, the Corinthian was a church that was broken out in the classes. They broke up into groups like that, the haves and the have-nots. And so it played right over into the church. He said, now look, what? In verse 22, don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? You can do all that at home. You ain't got to come to church to do that. Don't you have your own home? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? So obviously, the poor was being neglected during this time when everybody else who had was celebrating. So are you trying to shame the poor because now you can do all this thing in front of them and then now they don't get a chance to be a partaker in it when everybody who's a part of the body is supposed to be a partaker? Go ahead. But they were there, weren't they? But, so how did they not eat? You know, you want me to give you a good example, maybe? At a, at a natural fellowship, yeah. how do sometimes the folk who don't know the insides of striving don't eat? Because certain people who know, <laughs> that's true. Some people who know, you done been in a church where sometimes the best cake don't end up out for everybody else to eat. Don't even leave the kitchen. Not here at striving. But I've been in some church where, you know, that's Mama Sue's cake right there. That's the, you know, we, okay. everybody in the kitchen want a piece of Mama Sue's cake. So Major ain't going to get none of this cake. They got excluded because they looked out for those who had first and it became a party of celebrating just certain people and not the whole body. They should have included everybody and gave everybody a portion so that everybody could eat. Right. But, but it's no different, Major. We, even though it ain't communion, but just a typical fellowship, right. sometimes if you're at the tail end of the line, somebody done got 12 wings when they really didn't need but six. They don't care about you at the end of the line. Yeah, they don't care about you. You're in the line. You Major in line. But gladly, that's just fellowship. That ain't communion. You know, that's just fellowship. But even in fellowship, wouldn't you be upset if you don't stood in line for 30 minutes and you see Major walking out with 15 wings and when you get up there and you ain't got no wings left? Wouldn't that upset you? After we done just came here and praised and glorified the Lord and then now you're saying, man, Major got 15 wings. Major should have said, hey, there's other people in line behind me. Maybe I'm only going to take five wings this time. And if there's more, I'll come back. That do happen sometimes. So when we, hopefully it's a lesson for us for our next fellowship. If you're at the head of the line, realize there are other people behind you. Your plate don't have to wait five pounds the first time through. Come back and go through a second time. Even though we're not having communion, the person at the tail end of the line wants some need. Because we talking about fellowship, he said, hey, some people getting left out. So he was telling them, hey, if y'all going to act like that, y'all to just eat at home so when you come to church, you're already full. You ain't got to try to get full at church. 
He said, what, don't you have your own home? Let me read that again. For eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. I ain't going to praise you, Major, because you got them 15 wings. <laughs> Glory to God that Major ain't now, Major. You, I ain't going to give you no praise for that, man. You don't, you don't need 15 wings, man. So Paul's saying, look, when y'all act like that, I can't give you praise. And now he's talking about in the context of communion. I'm talking about in the context of fellowship because the principles should still apply in fellowship. There's 150 people in here. They all want to taste something. Amen. Now look, at he says, verse 20, verse 23, he says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And then that's where it talks about, did he get this revelation from Jesus when he was, you know, doing his three, mile, three years of, uh, in, 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 in isolation, learning? Or did he come by way, come through some of the other disciples? Because, you know, Jesus has taught this principle to his disciples before Paul was even a disciple. So communion was not new. It was already happening. Paul is just not teaching it to the Corinthians and talking about it to them. But the other disciples who were with Jesus had already had this practice in praise. Okay? He says, on the night when he was betrayed, so he take part of what you can find in Matthew and, 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 the, and the gospel. Right. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Most of you have got this remembered. Do this in re to remember me. So when we do that, the intent is not to remember us or to think about ourselves. It's to do it to be put in remembrance of him and what he did for us. Amen. We should be thinking about the sacrifice that he made for us because now he was issuing in a new covenant where he was going to be the sacrifice instead of a goat or a ram or a lamb or something else. He was going to be that sacrifice. So when we do that, our focus and our attention ought to be on him, not on ourselves, and not trying to get full. Amen. He says, now look, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. Then he come back and say again, do this to remember me as often as you drink it. So he don't say every time as often is open for interpretation. And so because of that interpretation there, that's why there are so many ways that often is applied in different churches, different faiths, different denominations. Okay? And like I said, I think the Catholics are probably the one that take it the most direct because I'm sure that every time they have a mass, they have communion. And there may be some other churches that do, but most churches I grew up in, we only did communion once a month on the first Sunday of the month. And that was probably just a tradition that they was passed down, and that's what they did. Okay? And, and so, but the key thing is not when you do it, it's how you do it. Even if we was to do it right here on a Wednesday night, we wouldn't be wrong. But our heart and our mind ought to be on him as we're doing it, even on a Wednesday night. And even if we decide to change and strive and say, hey, we're going to do communion every Sunday. That wouldn't be wrong. Not at all. In fact, if you want to do communion in your own house, with your family, you can. You don't need to. See, this free us up from having to have the high priest to perform this ceremony. 
the new covenant. And so therefore now, if you're the husband of your household, you're the priest of your house. If you want to establish communion with your family, you can do that. So you don't have to wait to get here to striving to have communion. And so he just says, do this in, to remember me. Then look at this. He says, now, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he come again. You, you are saying and saying to yourself and confirming continuously that Jesus is going to come back for his church. Then he says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily, this way you get really deep right here, is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. He said, now, you run the risk of being punished for doing this unworthily. In the unworthy manner, what he was talking about here, y'all done turned into a drunken party, your heart is not in the right place, you're not thinking about him at all, you done made a, 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 uh, a sacrilegious act out of something that is supposed to be sacred. So he says, now, when you do it in an unworthy manner, there could be consequences for you carrying this out in an unworthy manner. He says, for the, to, secure, to uh, keep yourself from falling into that trap, that is why you should examine yourself. So each individual is supposed to examine themselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So when so we come into that part, huh? That means search your heart. Search your own heart to say, hey, look here, is there any sin in my life that I need to confess before I have communion? So, and if it is, then you, then you shouldn't. shouldn't take it. Some people don't, that's why in some places you see some people say they don't take communion because of they don't feel like their heart is right. That's why in some churches they don't serve communion to little small kids who may not be able to understand the significance of it. Here, what we've done is say, okay, if your child has been baptized and the parent determined that this child is ready, we leave it up to the parent. I don't try to say, well, your child can't do that. So, so, so if, I, if, if on the first Sunday and I got something going on, not necessarily, well, not that my heart is not right, but I got beef with somebody or I'm feeling a certain way, then I shouldn't take communion? That's basically what he said, Major. Brother Mike, go ahead. Yeah, um, he says, examine yourself. If you do something wrong or you're, 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 you're not right, then you ask forgiveness before you take communion. Yeah. Because if you ask forgiveness, he's faithful and just to forgive you. That's what he says. So you're not taking it in, in a sinful manner or in a sinful way. And then you can partake. Because that communion can cause you to be sick or kill you. That's what the Bible says. We don't take it serious here because we, we, we take a lot of things lightly. But people have, he says, you can, it can even kill you. We're going to see this coming up. That's what he says. It can even kill you. So, so then, huh? That's what I was asking. Like yes, that's what you're asking. Yes. So, right, examine yourself so you can say, you know, all of us, we, I go wrong somewhere. Lord, can you forgive me? And you take a particular communion. But then you don't, you don't go take it sinfully. With, with, with you live in sin and your heart is not right and you partake. So then you can bring damnation to your soul. It can even kill you or cause you to be sick. So, and again, what Mike is saying, examine ourselves, we should come to the table, we shouldn't come to the table, in this case, I think he was talking about drunk, angry with others, or 
with unrepentant sin in our lives. So therefore, if I know I've done something wrong, we should get it right before we take it communion. You know, and I think, and when we do the reading for that, I think we have a, uh, I think we say take a moment of silent reflection to reflect back on your life, examining yourself to say, okay, you're supposed to be thinking, am I taking this with the right heart or in the right manner? And I know a lot of people probably don't even think about that. They just say it's first Sunday, good time to go take communion. That's because we probably don't emphasize the significance of it like we should. You know? No. It just become a, a ritual and a routine instead of something that, hey, and, and which means that maybe that's why the Catholics keep it before their people all the time. I believe that got something to do with why before they go to Mass, they have to go to confession. Because we don't want you to go in there and your stuff ain't right. And before you know it, you're dead. Brother Mike? I, I am part of it because I've been to confession. The priest, especially Easter, if you do, do any Easter, if you do not confess, they will not give you communion. If you come to the confessional box, they know you come to the confessional box. If you don't come to the confessional box, they're not giving you communion. The communion that they give is, is that little um, bread that you have. It's called the losty. They don't give you the wine, but they soak it in the cup, and they give it to you. If they have several priests, they, they partake from the wine. They will use the same cup and pass it, but they don't give the cup to the members. They only give you, you don't get the wine, you get the bread. They soak it in the cup, and they, give it to, they put it on your tongue. But if you don't come to confession, they don't, you, know, you cannot partake. And this may be why, Major, we're going to get there. Let me go ahead and finish it. He said, look, this, this, I'm glad Mike is here tonight because I've never been to camp, but I do know on Friday night they used to be making it to confession because they want to probably take communion on. Yeah. So, Major, you have to do that yourself. You examine Major so you don't have to come to Bolden. Get your mic, Major. This, this is my confession. I just thought that first Sunday, and they read that part, I mean, it became ritual. First Sunday, they said, examine yourself. Okay. And you no, weren't even thinking about what you... No, no but I'm until, just until, until I read this, I mean, I wasn't thinking, yeah. That, okay, yeah, this is serious. This is, not, this is not just, okay, it's first Sunday. It's more serious than that, but I, I, wasn't, I just wasn't thinking that way until reading this. I mean, it's serious. It's serious. It's, it's serious. And that's what Paul said. Hey, you, you don't take his sacrifice lightly, right. what he did for us and all that. And you do that by examining yourself and making sure that you're right, right. And, and you're not taking it unworthily. Because like Mike said, look at this. And this was one that got me to say, for if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Now, what did he say that judgment was going to be? But he, he, he gave us a, a little insight. Now, this judgment here has nothing to do with your eternal salvation. This is talking about you could be disciplined by God for doing this in an unworthy manner. He said, now look, that is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Good God of mine, that's enough right there to make you stop, man. I, 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 I sure hope, you know, that, I, that thing made me stop in my tracks. And man, I wonder how some people actually died because they didn't take communion serious. 
I don't want to know the answer to that. If there's some people sick and there's some people weak, all because we have made this nothing more than a, a ritual. When we really don't connect with what is supposed to be happening when we have communion. Go ahead, Major, go ahead. Get the mic. I mean, if we go by what Brother Mike said, if, if you ain't took confession, are you really worthy to take communion? Like, just because it's first Sunday, you just say, okay, first Sunday, take it. I'm good. Amen. I, I, and I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing with what you said, Major, but I think the, the, the key thing that we have that we don't need a confession booth, you can do that yourself. But if you've not been taught that, hey, man, I need to get things right, and maybe we don't make it plain enough when we say, hey, take a moment of silent self-reflection, you know, before you take this. Maybe we need to say, hey, you need to be thinking about, have you sinned? Maybe we need to change the word on that. Just say, hey. That is you, your confession box. Huh? It's say creating me a clean heart. You actually, if you listen to the script, it's kind of helping you along before you take that communion. Take a moment of silent reflection. That we may emulate the cries of David, creating me a clean heart, oh God, and restore a right spirit within me. That's, you know what I mean? You're trying to get it right before you get that communion. Can I say one thing? But maybe it is turning into a ritual if you're not listening to the words and, and really yeah. applying it to you during that time. Yeah. <laughs> Brother Mike and then Brother Herb, I thank you. For principle is you confess your sins to them because they say they the holy father. But as Christians we confess to God and we confess our faults one to another. So Amen. that's a difference. So yeah. if you have to make your confession, you confess to God. You say God forgive me, not Pastor Bolin or Minister or whoever. But the Catholic Church have the father as their holy father. Yeah. So they believe they represent God on earth. Amen. Amen. So that, that's that's a big difference. Brother Her? Oh, well, it comes down to also when it comes in in, in, uh, in Matthew, I think, 25, when it says that uh, he's going to separate from the sheep and the goat. And um, what I'm trying to say is there are some people who say that they are Christian, but did he really repent it and believe in their heart? That's the point I'm trying to say. No more than when you're taking the communion, do you truly, and there's a lot of people truly did not really confess and repent it. And they'll walk and say that they, you know, they are Christian and they continue to walk. They're not truly confessed and truly didn't repent. Repentant, okay. And so that's, what, that's what's going to be the separation. He's going to say, I don't know you. And, 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 and the thing that, that is so, so, so serious about that is that it would be nice if I could stand here and say, when Major say to me, I'm going to confess my sin to the Lord, you know, da, da, da. I don't know what is in his heart. I'm just going to believe what comes out of his mouth. God is going to be the one that has to kind of look at his heart and say, Major just front. You know, he, he lying. He don't really mean that, you know. So I'm not standing up here doing communion trying to say, Major's right, this one wrong. No, 
that's between major and God, like you say. And, and God is the one who really know our heart, the deep thing that's down deep in our heart. So my job is not to stand here on Sunday. Anybody that's doing this on Sunday is to try to look out there and say, well, man, major shouldn't be coming by here today. <laughs> that ain't my job. That major need to, that's between major and God. But now, again, like Micah said, in the Catholic Church, because they take this thing as the literal body of Christ, they're saying, hey, we're going to put some step ga some gaps in here, some stop gaps in here to say, hey, major, before you do this, the, the records say you didn't go to confession on Friday. So you ain't getting done today. You're going to have to wait the next time. If that's the way they do it, then that's what you got to respect if you go to a Catholic church. And that may be why a lot of people who go to Catholic church don't go and go through that part of the service if they know that they have not done that. I don't know. But I, I, all I know is that they do communion for everything. I went to a funeral, in a, a Catholic funeral. They do the funeral mass, and in that mass, they do communion. And I didn't get up and go up for communion when they did that. Just cause I, and not because I write or wrong, it's just that I've never been to a funeral where we have communion at a funeral. So I just felt like, nope. And they, and they made it clear, if you don't feel like you need to, you don't have to. It wasn't a mandatory thing. So I decided not to go. That was just a choice I made. But I could have went, dip, let them dip mine and put it in my mouth and went on about my business. Okay, so now let me, let me finish this up. I, this, so you can imagine what was going on in these folks' minds when they been in the church. They've been partying, having a good time at Paul. until they man, some of y'all dying because y'all, <laughs> y'all just don't know. Look here, he said, he said, look at verse 32, we're gonna, we gonna finish this. He said, look, Yet when you are judged by the Lord, you are being disciplined so that you, so that we will not be condemned along with the word. He said, God's trying to correct us so that those who don't know him are going to have a different part of it. They're going to be condemned. You're not, he's not trying to condemn you, Major. He's just trying to say, hey, I'm going to discipline you so that you can start see it, taking this serious. The world don't have no respect for it anyway. They already condemned until they change and change their heart. But you... I just want to punish you so that you can understand how important this is. I'm not trying to send you to hell because you messed up communion. But I want to let you know it is serious. Okay? He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Don't, don't, don't take the 15 wings, man. Wait till everybody else has got one. Just take two. Don't, don't, don't wait for everybody else, man. Don't. Don't make this a, a feast just to get full. Just make sure that everybody else can be, take part in it. He says, because he come back, he let us know why he said that. Because he said, if you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment on yourselves when you meet together. Amen. Amen. So he just telling us, hey, you sh if you're able to, when you come to church, for communion, you shouldn't come home. And I don't think, none, in our culture, we never went to church to try to get full off them crackers. I mean, I, mean, I ain't never reached that to give me a handful because I'm a, no, I mean, because I wasn't taught that way. I, it didn't even, even when I was a heathen, see them do it, it didn't even dawn on me that you, gonna, you just try to get your little piece. Because in the Baptist church, if you had been baptized, you know, that was one of the only thing they would make sure you were baptized when you have communion. But they never, like here, we never got asked, where your heart is. 
once we prayed for, we just went up there and just did what everybody else did. Because again, didn't know the seriousness of this passage of scripture and how God looked at that because it became just a ritual. And, 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 and that wasn't because we, we just wasn't taught. It wasn't drilled in. We did it, but it became so routine that it lost its power that, that it should have had. And, and, uh, and, and they got some other big words how they see this communion that I don't want to go through that's big term, but that, like they say, they got a big word to say how the Catholics do it, and they got a big word to say for those who see it as a spiritual transaction. It has nothing to do with symbolic, it's symbolism, spiritual symbolism, meaning that we don't see this as Christ's body and his blood. We see this as a spiritual transaction between us and the Lord, not a physical transaction where it's really his body and blood. So there's different beliefs out there on that. He says, if you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment on yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instruction about the other matters after I arrive. So again, there must have been some other questions that they was asking him, but now he was trying to just satisfy what should it look like in public worship. When we come together in public worship. Amen? Good conversation tonight. Go back and read that again. And again, like I say, this, this is probably one of the toughest passages that he wrote to the Corinthian church to try to weed through all of that and try to grasp where we are in the times that we're living in. Amen? Some quick announcements before I let you get out of here. Uh, food, food giveaway uh, is this. I think I got the slides coming. Food giveaway is Saturday, so if you've got time to come out and support that, please be able to uh, make time to do that. We're going to have a car wash uh, for the community. After that, if you want to get your car washed, RGD is going to do it uh, for free, and uh, we're going to reward them by the, by the number of cars they wash. So again, if you want to support that, please do so. VBS is coming up, Twist and Turns.